0: welcome to the living hope podcast living hope fellowship is a church located in lexington kentucky you'll find that we're more than just a church but we're also a family you can learn more about the ministries of living hope fellowship at www.lhfellowship.com now here's today's message
1: John chapter 4 this morning, that's where we're at, and uh, if you're saying, hey, I thought we were in John chapter 4 last week, we were. We're going to actually move right on uh, to another account this morning, but in our uh, current sermon series, it's been having us look at the changing power of Jesus Christ. Uh, We've been looking at the fact that when Jesus touches your life, he changes you forever. If we have come to Christ, if we have been touched by Christ, by the grace that we just sang about, if we've been placed under that avalanche of grace, He changes us. He changes everything. We see so many examples of that within Scripture, of God, when God got involved in, uh, in the lives of the patriarchs. Everything changed for them. Everything. Their purpose in life changed. Their their direction in life changed. Their, Their perspective on life changed. When Jesus met people in the Gospels, he did not leave them the same. And thank God for that, because if we were left the same, we would be dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus didn't come just to add or enhance your life. He came to give you life. He came to give you life that you could not get on your own, that you couldn't build on your own, because we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. That's why Jesus came. And we limit the gospel many times, and we say, you know what, Uh, you need a little bit of Jesus in your life. No, we need a whole lot of Jesus in our life. Matter of fact, we don't have life until we have Jesus. So we've been looking at this. When Christ touches your life, your life will never be the same. And get this, we, this is a humbling thought, but we need Jesus way more than he needs us. We need him way more than he needs us. And the stories that we've been looking at, we looked at Zacchaeus and we looked at the Samaritan woman, and they're all packed with drama, right? you got this short guy who's hated by the community and he's completely changed around. And he gives back every penny that he stole after he meets Jesus. His heart has changed. He becomes honest and he, he goes from being deceitful to, uh, to being an honest person with integrity and he becomes a philanthropist and all kinds of things change in his life. And then we saw the Samaritan woman last Sunday who was basically ostracized from the entire community. He was a per, she was a person that Jesus never should have talked to because she was a Samaritan woman. Being, a Jew, being the king of the Jews, Jesus should have never talked to a Samaritan woman. But what we learned from that is that Jesus and his mission is more important than our traditions. And thank goodness for that for the Samaritan woman and that whole town of Sychar was changed because of that. We learn that Jesus will overcome any distance and there's no one that is so far from God that he will not reach. And while we may not have stories that are as dramatic as Zacchaeus and we may not have stories that are as dramatic as the Samaritan woman, if you have a story that goes like this, I once was lost but now I'm found. You ever heard that song before? If your story says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, you have a story that can change the world. Not because of you, not because of your story, but because of who changed you. Because the one who's changed, the woman at Samaria, the one who changed Zacchaeus, still changes lives today. In church, I'm going to ask you this question. Do we believe that, do we honestly believe that today? Do we believe that with our whole heart? That's where we say amen, right? Hopefully, right? We have to believe that, and and, and the thing is, if we believe that, then we have to be loud about and and sharing our story with others. And Some of you may say, like, you may have grown up like me. I don't have, like, this massive story of life change to tell. I I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church before I was even out of the womb, okay? I'm one of those guys that say, I was raised in a Christian home. I think the worst thing that I ever did, you want to know, I got suspended from Sunday school, I did I got suspended from Sunday school for like a month you know what I did uh when the it was in youth class because you know youth that's when we go through our rebellious phase um and I, I decided that I <laughs> well basically um I argued with my teacher about something it was about whether he was a he was a, a 24 hour a day uh, creationist or it was a real real deep theological stu- thing and so he basically said you can't come back to class until we're finished with this section I said, okay. So I went and helped my mom in the kindergarten class. My pastor, who would eventually become my father-in-law, saw me. He says, oh, it's so great that we have Derek volunteering in this class. Got up and told the church. And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> A little suspension. Anyway, that's, that's not in the notes. But what I mean to say is, is, I don't have this grand story of being saved from addiction or being saved from, from the pits of sin, right? But you know what? That story as long as it includes Jesus, it's just as powerful as someone like Zacchaeus or someone like this Samaritan woman or maybe your story of, of maybe you were brought out of the pits of, 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 of sin because we're all brought out of that pit. doesn't matter what our sin looks like or how much we've got. One sin, sin kills, right? Yes. And so if you've been changed by Christ, you've got a story to tell. And we have to be willing to share that story with others because statistics tell us that there are less and less people who know about Christ. Fewer and fewer people who know about Christ. And it it rests upon us to share about the changing power of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been really talking about in this, in this series, is seeing just what Christ has done in saving us, just how many times he changed people's lives, and seeing just what a miraculous story it is when Jesus changes a life. So this morning, I want to look at, um, look at move right past the Samaritan woman. We're going to move right into the next section. We see another account. So far, we've looked at two people that their story is real dramatic, right? They were hated. They were ostracized. Nobody wanted to talk to them. Everybody wondered why Jesus would even give them the time of day. Now we're going to look at a guy who pretty much had everything going for him. He wasn't really ostracized. He didn't really have a whole lot of needs in his life, but his need for Christ was still the same as it was for Zacchaeus, still the same as it was for the Samaritan woman, still the same as it is for us today. So what we learn from this is it doesn't matter whether you come from the wrong side of the tracks or the right side of the tracks. Everybody's need for Christ is the same. We are all desperate beggars when it comes to the forgiveness of God. So let's look at John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 43. We're going to read through verse uh, 54. And <clears throat> the, word the, God, the word of God says, uh, says this. After two days, he left there, there being Samaria, because it's where he was with the Samaritan woman. He left there for, for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. It's believed that many people thought he would have gone back to his hometown of Nazareth because it was close by, but he went on to Galilee because, as he said, he said that there was not any honor for him in his own country. So when they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now catch why. Because they had seen everything that he did in Jerusalem during the festival. Jesus had been over there performing miracles. He'd been making a name for himself. He'd been creating a buzz. He was trending on Twitter more than Big Z was last night during the basketball game. I mean, Jesus was a superstar by this point. Because they believed everything that had happened. They were excited to see Jesus come in because of everything that he had done. And they had gone to the festival and they'd seen it too. Says, he went again to Cana of Galilee where he had turned the water into wine before, and there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come down from, uh, come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, and this is the verse that Pastor Chris shared with our kids, he said this, he said, unless you people see signs and wonders you will not believe. I love the way this, this text is rendered. Unless you people. You, Jesus even called them you people. All right? Anyway. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The translation may say your son lives. This man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And while he was going still, while he was still going down, his servants met him on the way, saying that his boy was alive. And he asked him what time he had gotten better, and they said yesterday at about one in the afternoon, or about the seventh hour. said the fever left him. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son lives. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would speak today to us, that you would be the one who illuminates us to truth. Or just like the song that we sang earlier, we are broken. There is nothing that we can offer you except for a hallelujah. And so this morning as your messenger, I just stand before you and say praise you, Lord. And I pray that your glory would be clearly seen through what you've done uh, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life experienced a crisis situation? Anybody ever experienced a crisis? Anybody? Somebody like, raise your hand if you've never experienced a crisis in your life. Like you've never, every one of us, right? The Bible says, Job says this. He says, man that is born of woman is a few days and what? Full of trouble, right? We've got, everybody's got their problems. Everybody has their crisis in life. Everybody does. Everybody who's lived for any amount of time can identify with that question. There are seasons when things are going really good, everything is looking up. You're on cloud nine, you're on the mountaintop of life, everything is fine. And what happens? You wake up from the dream, right? That's that's what happens when everything is going well, right? Because the unavoidable truth is that life is filled with crisis moments. I was watching a, a game the other day, and there's an ad that came on for Domino's Pizza. Did you right now if you sign up, for, I'm not, this is not a paid advertisement, by the way. Do you know right now if you sign up for the app for Domino's Pizza, they will give you something they call an a free emergency pizza? I don't I don't know of any crisis in my life where I said, you know what would fix this? A large pepperoni and sausage from Domino's right now? That's gonna fix everything. Although maybe. I, I don't I don't know. But seriously. The truth is and the reality is sometimes in life, there are things that a pizza's not gonna fix. Not even Haagen-Dazs ice cream. We have things that, there are some things in life that we know, this is serious. This is a drop everything kind of moment. It's a phone call or a text or a diagnosis from the doctor. When you realize life as I knew it is about to change. It's a crisis kind of moment, right? In reality, there are things in life that can just cause everything else to shut down, and that's what this man was experiencing in our text here. He was going along with life, and what we're gonna see about this, this guy is he, his life probably wasn't all that bad, but he's now in a real crisis. His son is at home clinging to life, and if he doesn't see a miracle soon, he's gonna die. He's gonna lose his son. The Bible tells us that this man was a nobleman, or he was someone who was of, of, a, of a royal stature there in Capernaum. All we know about this guy, we don't, know his, we don't know his lineage, we don't know a lot of stuff. We, he could be a Gentile, he could be a Jew, we don't know. People are, differ back and forth on, on what his heritage was. But we assume he's Jewish, but we're not completely sure. What we do know is that he's noble, he has some sort of governmental authority. More than likely, he's well-to-do, he's got money, and he's probably well-connected. So he's got a lot of resources that most people don't have. He's from Capernaum, which is kind of like, it was kind of like a resort kind of area. It was kind of like the Destin or like the Key West or something like that of the ancient, of the ancient eastern areas. So he has, so it's possible that this man is pretty well known. He's pretty well connected. He had resources available for him. He has a good standing in the community, but he had come up against something that we all come against, is that death is the great equalizer, isn't it? death is a great equalizer it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor black or white man woman boy girl child it doesn't matter death comes to all of us the bible tells us this it's appointed unto us wants to die and after that we'll be judged so it doesn't matter what side of the tracks we're coming from we all are equal in this fact we're not going to live forever none of us have figured out how to live forever we have to realize that just like this man, that Jesus is the only one who can fix this equalizing crisis. See, this man, well-connected, well-versed, well-established in the community, what does he do when he's in Capernaum and he hears that Jesus came into Cana? He says, I've got to go to Jesus. He's my only hope. So he runs somewhere between 15 and 20 miles, and he runs it all uphill. Not in the snow, but he runs it all uphill because geographically Capernaum was down below sea level, and Cana was up a little bit. So he runs, or he gets in his chariot, or rides on his horse, or donkey, or whatever, whatever it may be. He leaves his son at his bed, or at his deathbed, and runs to Jesus, who is his only hope. He's in a crisis, and he sees the urgency. So this morning, what I want to see after we set this all up, what I want to see is how this man is a lot like us. Now, we may not have a loved one right on a deathbed right now. Maybe you're not on a deathbed, but what we need to understand, spiritually speaking, every one of us are in the place of that son. Not of the man, but of the son. And We need to have the urgency of the father when it comes to realizing that Christ is the only one, the only one who can bring us out of that crisis. So the first thing we have to understand as we look at this passage, one of the truths that we see is that Christ cares about the crisis that we're in. Christ cares about your crisis. And you may think, I don't know, man, because it seems like, I was, it just seems like if God cared as much as he said he would, I wouldn't be going through as much as I'm going through right now. It just, just seems like, if you ever been there before? Like, Lord, I know you're my God. I have no trouble trusting you. I know you're my Lord, but I wish that you would choose to glorify someone else through the suffering, Right? We go through these crises in our life sometimes, and we wonder, God, what are you doing with that? What are you exactly doing with that? Christ cares about our crisis, and what we have to understand is when he comes into Cana, most of the people just didn't get what Christ was really about. They'd been amused by Christ. They had heard about, about the, the, the magic trick that he did at, uh, at the wedding when he turned the water into wine right? They'd heard about that. They'd heard about all the things that he was doing in Jerusalem. The Bible even said when he came into Cana, everybody was like, man, it's great to see you. What are you going to do here? Kind of like the people that came back after the day, after the feeding of the 5,000, and they're like, you know, what is he going to put out on the breakfast buffet today? We got fish and bread yesterday. Hope it's bacon. Well, no bacon, but hope it's eggs, at least. And they're like, what's Jesus going to do for me? Pastor Chris was talking about this with the kids, That's what a lot of people, when they look at Christ, that's what they look at. What can you do for me? But we're still looking at it in a present tense. The reason that we come to Christ and the reason that we praise Christ so much is not because of what he can still do. It's because of what he's already done. All the work has been done on the cross. The greatest miracle has already taken place, folks. And if God doesn't come through on any other miracle that you ask him for other than be merciful to me, a sinner, Christ has done more than we deserve. And he deserves our praise. But the people of Cana were just amused by Christ's message. Like, let's see what he does now. So they're all gathering, ra- uh, gathering around wanting to see. The thing is, is they were only mildly influenced by Christ, what he could do. But this man from Capernaum was different. He was desperate because of the work that he needed Christ to do. See, the, noble was, the nobleman was desperate for a miracle. See, to him, it wasn't, it wasn't just time to go see a party trick. To him, this was a life and death matter for his son. It's a life and death matter. And church, what we need to approach our Savior with is that he is a life and death matter. He's not just an accessory that I add to my life. He he makes the difference between life and death. We have to have that kind of mentality. This nobleman comes panting, sweating, scared to death that if another second goes by without Christ, he's going to lose his son. Why was he so desperate? Because he had nowhere else to turn. You got to think for a minute imagine this guy, he's, he's, he's got connections, he's pretty good up in the society, so chances are all the doctors that were available had looked at his son and said, there's really nothing more that we could do, he's got this fever, and unless this fever breaks, and we don't know what else to do for him, he's gonna die, and he's probably gone for second and third opinions, and they've all said there's nothing more we can do, we can try to make him comfortable right now, but unless there's a miracle, so he runs to the one that he knows is the miracle worker, because there's no one else that can handle it, and Christ cares. Christ cares about that man's crisis, and this is where the purpose for Christ, Christ's visit to Galilee comes into play. He came because he cared about this man's crisis. That man came because he cared enough to realize that Jesus was the only one who could help him. See, Jesus, when he said, I said I've come to give life, and I've come to give it more abundantly, the question we have to pull from this is, Am I desperate for Christ, or am I just amused by him? See, he cares about our crisis. He cares about the crisis we may not even realize. See, what what I worry about sometimes is sometimes we want from Jesus so little when he knows what we need is so much deeper. We want him to fix the bank account, or we want him to, you know, make this work and make this work. When Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, but your sin is killing you. When many people look at Jesus, you know what, I think I could believe in Jesus if I could see him do a little bit more magic tricks. This is what leads to doubting him so often. See, we are in our limited capacities. We can't understand God's omnipotence, but matter of fact, this is, here it is. Whatever view we have of God today, I can assure you it's too small. Whatever thing you can imagine about the magnitude and about the awesomeness of God, it's too small because We're finite. God is infinite. When we talk about God's holiness, our minds are eventually going to run out. It's going to sputter out, and there's going to be miles ahead of his holiness that our minds can't even grasp. Our knowledge is going to run out and sputter out, and there's going to be miles more, eons more of his knowledge that we can't grasp. Many times I think that's what leads us to having just like a limited view of God, and we don't adequately comprehend just how big he is, just how capable is. He is. This is why we often doubt whether we can truly take everything to him or not and whether we can truly count on him. We say that he's big. We say that he's powerful. We attest to that fact, but when something comes up, what do we normally do? We try to fix it ourselves instead of turning to him to begin with. See, he cares about our crisis. Here's what he said. So many times he gave us these promises. He says, Cast your cares on me because I care for you. He said, Trust me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Run to me, and I'll be your tower of refuge and strength. I said, make, no, make no mistake about it, Christ cares about your crisis. God cared about your crisis so much to send his son to be the one to fix it. He cares about our crisis. And the second thing that we have to come to is the fact that Christ can handle our worst scenario. Christ can handle our worst scenario. You may be sitting there thinking, you know what? That's nice. Church people always talk about how good God is, but their life really isn't that bad. You've got to look beyond the skin a lot of times, because every one of us have the same death sentence, because the wages of our sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ can handle our worst-case scenario. Why? Because that's why he came. He came for our worst-case scenario. Look at verse number 47 again. He says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he pleaded with him to come down and to heal his son since he was about to die. Look on, he says, sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. You see, this man's son was dying fast, man. He was in a worst case scenario situation. It was, uh, you don't have 24 hours to live. We don't know how long it took him to get the 15 miles, but what we can read into this is if Jesus and the guy didn't leave at that very moment, chances are the kid would not have been alive when they got back. See, the man didn't have time to wait around to see if Jesus just happened by Capernaum while he was in the area. He went to Christ himself. So like I said, the trip from Capernaum to Cana was about 15 to 20 miles, and because of this man's status, he may have had transportation to get there, but what we do know is once he gets there, he busts through the crowd, and he's like, Lord, You've got to stop everything, and you've got to come to my son. Here's what, he, here's what we can't miss. Whatever, whatever it took, what we can't miss is he risks never seeing his son alive again when he leaves his son, and he puts all his hopes on Christ. He risks never seeing his, his kid for the, for, the, for the rare chance that he might be able to find healing in Jesus Christ. See, in my mind, I picture this man who is probably well-dignified, well-dressed. Everybody kind of knows who he is. Maybe he's even got like, a royal, like a, a, a royal caravan with him or whatever. And here he comes. He's put aside all dignity, and he's on his hands and knees before Jesus, begging, Lord, please come. All of a sudden, this man with all kinds of earthly authority is begging the one who has heavenly authority. Again, that's a beautiful picture to us of we must humble ourselves before the Lord. We bring nothing to the table. The man's money, the man's position, none of that was going to get him what he needed for his son. He had to to fall on the heavenly authority of Jesus Christ. See, his urgent need caused him to toss everything else aside. He doesn't care if people saw him. He doesn't care if people said, that's beneath him. He doesn't care if people are upset with him for his rudeness. He doesn't care if it's beneath him to be doing that. He starts tugging at Jesus, imploring with him, come now or my son will die. What I often, I don't know, man. I can't tell you myself, this is, I can't tell you the last time I had that kind of urgency for my sin to be forgiven, that kind of brokenness. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. I think that's the last time I got to that was like, I, mean, I need, I'm broken, and I need Jesus as my Savior, and whatever it takes, Lord, I'm falling on my face before you, because without you, there is no hope. This is the desperation that this man has. This guy, his need was a life and death matter. We can't just treat our sin. We have to get this. We can't just treat our sin that separates us from God as though it's no big deal or something that we can get around to dealing with. The man could have said, you know what? I hope my son holds out until Jesus comes through town. No, he says, I can't sit around and wait. Our sin has to be that way. We can't just say, I'm going to wait, I'm going to get around to dealing with it one day, maybe when the weather's better, maybe when things look better is when I'll get around to doing it. No, we have to have the urgency that this nobleman did. Our sin is an eternal life and death matter, and the question is, do we sense that urgency? See, Christ, I often wonder, why didn't Christ go? It doesn't matter why Christ didn't go, he knew why. Some people say, well, it's because logistically he knew he didn't have time. Maybe that's the case. But look at verse number 48. So the man's there begging Jesus to come with him to Capernaum to hear to heal his son. The clock is ticking, and what is Jesus' response? Look at verse number 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Again, I love it. Jesus, you people. I love it. I mean, Jesus kind of seems a little bit annoyed here, doesn't he? It's so unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So the man begs him one more time, and look at what Jesus says. Go, Jesus told him, and he said, your son will live. Or, your translation may say, your son lives. It's in that present tense. No offer to go with the man. No, of course, I deem this is the most important thing now. Let's go, right now. No, come on, everybody. I'm going to show you what I can really do. You thought the water, the wine trick was good. Wait till you see this one. None of that. One thing we can draw from the text is the fact that he doesn't grant the man's request is that maybe there wasn't enough time. But the real answer lies in this. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. It was a rebuke to to the people there in Cana, but it was a test to the man at Capernaum. Will you just trust me? Will you just trust who I am more than what I can do? Will you just trust who I am, that I'm the son of God, that I'm the healer? Will you trust me? Will you place all your faith in me? In verse number 50 again, go, Jesus told him, and your son will live. Look at what the man's response was. The man believed what Jesus said to him, and he departed. So put this scene in your head. The man's desperate. You've got to come to my son. Everybody's like, oh, what's he going to do, man? I picture those people standing around, maybe with their wine glasses still in their hands, waiting for another glass of wine. And they're thinking, oh, man, we're getting ready. to Go to Capernaum. We're going to see the next trip, next trick. And Jesus says, just go. Your son's good. And here's the point. What we see from here is this is written by God, obviously, right? Because we know the man's heart. He says the man believed and he turns around and he goes back home. He trusts Jesus for what he said. This is what salvation really is, is trusting Jesus at his word. The gospel says we are sinners. Christ died. He rose again. If you'll repent and believe, you'll have eternal life. How different is this? We've got to take him at his word we've got to take him at his word and walk in faith that we're saved it also teaches us that no one is beyond the reach of God's power the man had faith that Christ could help but his faith was probably still in a restrictive box he comes he says if you don't come to my son he's not going to be healed and Jesus says no I don't even have to be there I don't even have to be there in order to heal him he would teach the man to believe Christ with no restrictions A lot of times we put Christ in our box with how we believe. Say, Lord, I need you to do this, this, and this in order for you to to come through and for me to trust you in this, this, and this. We can't put God in a box, church. We can't. We've got to trust him and let him do his work that he knows he needs to do. And the one thing we always can know he's going to answer yes is God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We know he's always going to answer that in the affirmative because he said so. He said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will what? Will be saved. See, from here we see the man takes Jesus at his word and he begins his trip back home. He has to trust Jesus. He had enough trust in Jesus to go to Jesus. He can't stop trusting him now just because Jesus says, I'm not going to do it the way you thought I was. So he says, okay. I'm trusting you. I'm taking you at your word. So I head back home and this is teaching us something very important is that christ specializes in what seems to be lost causes he specializes in what seems to be broken and lost causes he specializes in the miraculous even if it's from long distance he specializes in it this guy to put it in basketball terms jesus hit a full court shot with the buzzer running out in order to heal this kid You want to know how legendary Jesus is? You want to know how amazing Jesus is? He can heal you from right where he's at. A lot of people say, I need proof to know that Jesus is real. We don't. Just like Pastor Chris said, he's already given us all the proof that we need right here. If he'll do it for the nobleman, he'll do it for us. If we'll ask, if we'll come with faith, if we'll trust him and we'll walk in faith, he will come through for us. So Christ knows our crisis and he can heal it. But he also can change our crisis immediately. See, Jesus heals that boy immediately. He doesn't say, all right, take two and call me in the morning. He doesn't say, you know what, go home. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to try this new medicine. Um, it's, uh, I want you to try some essential oils and, and things like that. No, he just says, he's done. He's healed. He's, he's taken care of. Verse number 50, again, I keep bringing this one up. He says, go, your son will live or your son lives. It's all in the present tense. In either case, the message is sent loud and clear. Jesus healed the boy the moment, that moment because of the faith the Father had to trust and obey. Jesus says it in present tense. Your son is alive. What made it to where his son was alive? Jesus' touch and the man's faith. The moment Christ spoke, the boy was healed man thought it would be probably a progressive healing he probably went back thinking yeah he's going to have a couple of days recuperating in the bed you know no he finds out as he gets about halfway home he finds out his his servants come and meet him and look at verse number 51 says while he was still going down going back home his servants met him saying that his boy was alive and what we see in verse number 52 tells us that the man may have expected the boy to just progressively get better in verse 52 says, "He asked him at what time he got better." And they said, "Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, or your translation may say the seventh hour, the fever left him." they answered. The fever just broke. Immediately he was healed. That word left there in the Greek, it, it means "departed." It's the active tense. It means it departed immediately. It wasn't like it just progressively started to go down. It means like at one in the afternoon, he's better. Soon when, cha- when Christ changes our great crisis. He does it immediately. See, our salvation, our greatest crisis is our need for salvation. When he changes us, he changes it immediately. It's not a progressive salvation. It's not like I'm putting a down payment on, my, on, on heaven because I'm just going to put my faith in Jesus Christ and hopefully, hopefully I'll do enough to stay on my track to heaven. No, once we're saved, it's we're as sure for heaven as though we've already been there. It's immediate. There's nothing else that needs to be done because Christ already did it on the cross. See, when Christ changes us, our great crisis, it changes immediately. Some things in life may change over time. We'll grow in our spirituality. We are sanctified. We're more set apart for his use. But the moment we cry out to the Lord for salvation, he saves us. And the Bible says old things are passed away. All things have become new, says in Corinthians. Everything is new. So if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you've cried out to him to be, a sa- to be your savior, it doesn't matter if the enemy is giving you doubts or whatever it may be, tell them the truth. My savior saved me and when he saves, he does it completely the very moment I ask. See, Christ will change us instantly and Christ, the last thing, he will respond to our faith. See, the man truly believed that Jesus could heal. He believed he's the only hope. The nobleman from the Capernaum came to a carpenter from Nazareth. Get that too. A nobleman from Capernaum came to a carpenter from Nazareth because he realized he was his only hope. Some people struggle with, I don't know about this Jesus stuff, especially in the society that we have today that thinks that we're beyond all of this. They look at it as, man, I don't know. Am I going to start believing in fairy tales? But sometimes we get to a point where the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, this isn't a fairy tale, this is life and death. This is life and death. He came to him and he says, because he believed Jesus possessed the power to heal his son, and he walked away believing Jesus, and he did heal his son. The question we're left with is, do we truly believe that Jesus can heal us and handle our greatest crisis? Or are we just amused? Are we just intrigued by what we've heard? Do we look at this book and say, those are some great stories from the past, but Jesus ain't doing that anymore? Jesus is still in the saving business. Jesus is still in the healing business. Jesus still is in the miracle working business, and he will do those things as he sees fit. But just as Pastor Chris said to the kids, it doesn't change the fact that he is the Savior. How he chooses to work doesn't change the fact that he does. He is still in the saving business. Jesus healed in response to the man's faith. Verse 48 isn't a rebuke to the man. It's kind of like a pointing out, this man had faith. He came to me because of what he desperately wanted. Do we trust Christ enough to walk in him and trust in him with our life and our eternity? And what we also see is the man's faith was, like, completed, and it was, like, like solidified by what he saw Jesus do. Look at verse 40, 53. The father realized that this was the very hour when he was asking his, his servants, It was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Once he saw the proof of what Jesus did, it deepened his faith. He had already exercised faith in Christ at that moment that Jesus said, Go, because he trusted and he obeyed. But now his faith is deepened and it's solidified in Christ. The nobleman believed, but not just the nobleman. What else happened? His whole household. That kid that was raised up out of his bed probably had no idea what was even going on. He comes back and and father says, son, I got a story to tell you. He was saved. He would place his faith in Christ. The servants placed their faith in Christ. Why? Because when Jesus works, it makes believers out of all of us. When Jesus works, it makes believers out of all of us. And how can I tell you that I know that salvation in Jesus is real? Here's how. Because he saved me. I know what he's done in me. I have a massive story of like huge 180 life change to tell no but I also have a story of salvation to tell that Jesus has been my savior and I have not walked with him as faithfully as I would like to every step of the way but I'll tell you what there's never been a moment where he's not been faithful to me he's never wandered from me although I'm prone to wander He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And in every moment, in every facet of life, he is working in me and through me to both glorify himself to others and glorify himself to me to show me, Derek, you can trust me. If you can trust me for your eternity, you can trust me for now. Has he done that for you? Has he done that in your life? Church, we've got to have this testimony of, man, The greatest thing I've ever happened to me is when I met Christ. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is when I met Christ. This guy was well connected to a lot of people, probably. He knew a lot of powerful people, but the most powerful person was a carpenter from Nazareth, and he had to run 15 miles to get to him. Do we have that same view of Christ? the man's house had that same faith after what they saw our faith in Christ will create space for his glory to shine for others to see right our faith in Christ and us living faithfully create space for his glory to shine for others to see as well that's what the nobleman did he went home and he's like and everybody got a chance to see it because he exercised faith in Christ others got to see how good God is and they responded in kind. Why? Because when Christ works, he makes believers out of all of us. So the question that we fall to at the end is, here's what Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. We want to find fulfillment in our life. We want to find fulfillment in our faith. We have to walk by faith. the question we have is will we offer Christ our whole faith or will we just merely be intrigued by him and hold back see the people at Cana we don't know what else Jesus did there in Cana and the thing is is none of the people got to see the proof of what Jesus did if they wanted to see the proof they would have had to follow that guy back all the way to Capernaum to see if the son lived probably a lot of them didn't do that so they were left trusting did jesus actually could you imagine the conversation with all those people did jesus really heal him or did he just send him away we don't know and they were left wondering can we really trust jesus or not no doubt many of them some of them may have said yeah i believe that he healed him but others may have said yeah i don't know i didn't get to see it see because if you can see it and you need that in order to trust is it really faith so we need to place our faith in christ here's the promise christ has made you believe in me you will live Isn't that what he told the nobleman you trust me your son will live if you believe in me you'll live have you placed that faith in christ to be your savior if you haven't let today be the day or if you say i have but i haven't been sharing it and i haven't been as amazed by just what god has done as i should have and i haven't been sharing it like i should this is where i say we all have stories to share we all have a story to share Maybe we need to get more active about sharing that. So as we bow our head and close our eyes this morning, again, I'd ask you the same question I'm going to ask every time I preach. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you saved? Do you know Him? If you don't know Him, let today be that day. Place your faith in Him. Realize that He's the only one that you're in a crisis. It's life and death. If you don't trust Christ, the Bible says, we die without Christ, we die without hope. If you don't know Him, come to him today if you say i got questions about all of that that's what pastor chris myself the elders here are for the person that's sitting next to you don't leave today with questions about that don't leave today without questions being answered you say hey i'm saved i know i'm saved but you're like i've just kind of gotten used to it and i just kind of my relationship with jesus has kind of been reduced to i just want to see what new tricks he can do tomorrow is that really the kind of relationship we should have with the savior of the world or should it be a relationship of absolute awe for what he has already done? So as we pray this morning, we get ready to worship again. If you need to come today for whatever, to be saved. Maybe you need to come to say, hey, Lord, I just need to renew my relationship. You know, I just need to kind of re- renew my passion, my fervor, my gratitude. Whatever need you have today. Christ, waits till you. Father, I pray.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about having a fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, or you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us again at our website, lhfellowship.com. Or if you would like and you are in the Lexington area, please feel free on Sundays to stop by and worship with us. Our services are held each Sunday at 10.15 a.m. We would love to see you there. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.